Hey, you're listening to the Grace Auburn Church Podcast, and this week's sermon, Lee Cadden preaches from John chapter 8 and 9 in our sermon series, Jesus, the Glory of Grace and Truth. Welcome to Grace Auburn. My name is Lee. I am one of our pastors here on staff, and we are in week eight of a series called Jesus, the Glory and Grace of Truth, and week after week, we've been journeying through Uh, the first few chapters of John's gospel as he's writing about who Jesus is, the things that he says, the things that he does, and how in the midst of our most broken moments, glory breaks in through grace and through truth. Last week, we looked at an incredible story of Jesus uh, interacting with someone who by all rights should have been condemned by him because of their life. And in coming face to face with the one who had the authority, And the one who had the power and the one who by all rights should have been the one to condemn such actions. This woman finds herself alone with him having uh, really in a very gracious and tactful way and direct way. Jesus uh, removes any chance that anyone in the crowd that would stone this woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. Removes any chance that any of them would find themselves throwing the first stone because he says he who is without sin can be the first to throw a stone at her, and they all leave. And Matt said these words as we wrapped up last week, and this is paraphrased, so I'm sorry, wherever you are. Uh, It said, in the worst moment of her life and sinfulness, in the worst moment of her life and sinful brokenness, the best place she could have been was was alone at the feet of Jesus. And I think what an incredible picture of all of us. At some point, finally realizing we come face to face with the person who has the authority to judge and condemn and yet says, I don't condemn you, but go and leave your life of sin. In the midst of her understanding grace for the first time, she had to come also face to face with the truth that she had been living a life that was counter to the kingdom. It wasn't the way that righteousness was to walk itself out in her life. And she's forced with a choice in that moment, having seen Jesus face to face, to walk according to the way that he would have her walk. In his saying, go now and leave your life of sin, he's telling her, listen, you are free from all of that. But you have to live differently. The truth is, in dealing with grace in the way that I'm giving it to you, you have to deal with your old life and walking out of that. And we do so by the power of Jesus becoming more and more and more and more and more real in our life on an ongoing basis. And so today, we're going to look at just that. If last week was Jesus dealing graciously and truthfully with her, this week is going to be Jesus continuing to draw very clear lines between what the religious establishment, the Pharisees, the rulers, and all of their man-made rules and all the impositions that they had made on the people of Israel. Today, Jesus continues to draw the lines clearer and clearer as they come face-to-face with their own inability to lead these people faithfully. And so we're going to be in John chapter 8, starting in verse 31 this morning. And we're going to work through um, almost a chapter and a half, but not uh, all the verses at once. So we're going to be working from John chapter 8, verse 31, and we're going to work all the way through John chapter 9. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn there, do so now. It says this in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we're offspring of Abraham, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. 
The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Jesus says, abide in me. If you were to be my disciple, if you were going to follow me, if you were going to abide in me, then my word will remain in you. He says this, uh, in, in, in several of the Gospels in various ways and in various places, but it's this understanding that discipleship, following Jesus, orienting your life around who Jesus is and what he says and how you should live means abiding in the word of Jesus. And we're going to come back to this in just a minute, but I want to take a, a, just a quick minute to, to unpack what Jesus is saying here at the very beginning of John chapter 8. He says, if you believe in my words, if they abide in you, if they rest in you, then you will be my disciple. So in order to be a disciple, there has to be this recognition of Jesus' words are greater than anything of this world. That whatever he's saying, whatever is written in scripture about him and whatever he's saying in this moment, that believing in what he says matters more than what I may think to be true or maybe what the world would tell me. He says that I and they, my words are true, that sin is evil, but I have come to save. I have come to set free. So if, we, if the first step in discipleship is believing in the words of Jesus, the second is to remain in those words, to uh, abide in who Jesus is and what he says, to listen to them, to not just give you know, a, a few minutes of our day to those words, but to allow them to impact every decision we make from business to social to roommates to how we spend our time to how we invest our finances to allowing all of the word and what Jesus says to impact every area of our life, knowing that when we do that, if we believe in his words and if we remain in his words and allow them to sink deep in us, then we will come to an understanding of truth. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth. And the way we know the truth is to spend time in the truth because everything around us is, is giving us falsehood. It's giving us lies. And Jesus is going to get into that a little bit more graphically and direct in, in just a few minutes. But if we believe that in abiding in his word, we come to an understanding of the truth. And Jesus says, if you will do these things, then knowing the truth will set you free. And when we hear freedom, especially as Americans, we probably are in the same way looking at our, our for those of us who find ourselves living and worshiping in America here today, we probably find ourselves reacting to the statement of freedom much the way that the Jews did, which they say that they've never been a slave to anyone. They're clearly forgetting Moses in Egypt, right? And not only that, they're living in a day of Roman occupation. So they probably say, we've never been a slave to anyone, and Jesus is like, really? Like, look around you. Look at your life. Look at all of these things that you've heaped on top of yourself and everyone else, and yet you say you're not a slave. Are you really walking in freedom? Jesus' exclamation or his proclamation of if you know the truth, then that truth will set you free. Jesus is making the statement, listen, everything that you've ever believed to be true finds its fulfillment in me. And so if it's not pointing to me and if it's not leading into deeper relationship with me and if you're not counting the cost of coming and following me, then you don't know truth and you certainly aren't free. And so what I want to talk about this morning and what I want us to get our head around is that we are all slaves to something. That regardless of where you're from, regardless of where your upbringing was, regardless of your socioeconomic status, we are all slaves to something. 
And Jesus, in a way that only Jesus can, is going to talk about what it means to be a slave to righteousness, a slave to the king of kings, a slave to his way and the higher way and what that means to walk in it. And he calls it freedom. And it's completely counterintuitive both to them and to us as we think about what it means to live just kind of our normal everyday Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. All of our days kind of come back to this idea of whether we are walking in freedom or not. And that's the dividing line that Jesus is making here at the end of John chapter 8. And he goes on for the rest of this chapter dealing with the Pharisees, talking about how, listen, there's, there's the difference between real sonship and what you consider to be sonship. For the Jews, they thought that because they were Jews that they were automatically perfectly good with the Father. But their patriarchy was not exactly the paternity that Jesus had in mind for eternity. And they had a false understanding of what their lineage meant for them. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 9 that not all of Israel is true Israel. For them, they thought that just because they were who they were meant they were better than everybody else and they didn't have to live their life according to truth. Jesus says, you don't know the Father because my words don't abide in you. There was a certain misunderstanding of what it meant to be a son and they found themselves being pointed at directly by Jesus. Like, there's no more beating around the bush. There's no more talking in hyperbole at this point. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. You're a slave to sin because you don't know the truth. And the truth is the only thing that sets you free from slavery to sin. And so he continues on, and if, if that's not bad enough, talking about how they don't know the Father and they're not true sons, that they are, in fact, slaves, he goes and, and to, to phrases like this as he's continuing to develop the lines of his father's kingdom and the kingdom of this world. He calls them children of the devil. Like there's a whole list of things here that are not cupcake, right? He says, children of the devil, your father was a murderer from the beginning. This is toward the end of John chapter 8. He is the father of lies, and you are his children. Like uncomfortable situation, right? Like not, not soft tossing it. Full-on assault of the lies that have been told and sold to the people of Israel in that day. Jesus is waging full-out war, not against the religious rulers. Hear me say that. So if we find ourselves, or if you find yourselves having typically like leaned towards being the older brother, towards being the one who keeps it all together for the sake of keeping it all together and for the sake of your life looking a particular way, Jesus is not against you, and he certainly wasn't against the Pharisees. Jesus is against the father of lies, the murderer from the beginning. Jesus in this moment is in a full-out war on Satan himself and the lies that people have believed for hundreds and thousands of years. And he means to set people free. And that's no different today than it was in that day. But then Jesus, in a way that only Jesus can, by totally just doing what he does in a moment, in a moment gets to the end of John chapter 8 in verse 57 and says this, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And so the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, because Jesus hid him. but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So imagine the scene of you're having this argument, and now Jesus has been calling you things like children of the devil, who is the father of lies, 
who's a murderer from the beginning, who only do the things that they see their father doing. So now you're calling me a liar, me a murderer, all of those things. And then you make this absolutely absurd statement that they would have known very well to be from Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 13, that says, Then Moses said to God, Moses is trying to understand who God is and how he's going to relate to the people of Israel as they are being led out of captivity. And he says, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people Israel, I am has sent me to you. God had always been known as the great I am, the one who had always existed, the one who had always from eternity past been the same and had never changed. And here's this person who is the son of a carpenter, who is a rabbi, who is calling the religious leader of the, leaders of the day liars, murderers, thieves, those who continue to lead people into sins of slavery or to slavery to sin. And then finally he caps it all off by just outrightly saying, I and the Father are one. I am is before you. And they picked up stones to throw at him because of the blasphemy that had taken place in their midst. And Jesus just casually slides right out. I'm going to leave this all over here, right? And he leaves the temple in an, an incredible and extraordinary way after having basically just, just ripped apart all of the lies of the enemy when it comes to truth, when it comes to an understanding of what it means to walk with God. And that sets the scene, so to speak, for John chapter 9, he's been talking about walking in freedom. He's been talking about what it means to, to be alive in Christ. He's been talking about what the contrary to that is, is all these rules that the religious leaders had given to the people of that day and how it had kept people in slavery to sin because of the inability to find a righteousness of their own. And in John chapter 9, it says, as he passed by, as he left the temple. So imagine the scene that's inside, right? And he's leaving the temple. And somewhere right outside of the temple, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So forget about the fact that you just called yourself I am and everybody inside's freaking out. Now we're outside and they see this man and they ask this question, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus answered, it was not this man's sin. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so he went and washed and he came back seeing, and the neighbors of those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is, not, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he's like him. And he kept saying, I'm the man. So they said to him, then how are your eyes open? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes. And it was weird at first. And he said to me, go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. So first and foremost, the idea of a holy person's spit, not uncommon in that day for them to use it to heal a person. So it would have been not normal, but not as weird as it is for us, right? Like if Matt tries to spit on your eyes, walk away. But in this moment for him, having been born since, born blind, having been blind his entire life, he finds himself really without even engaging Jesus, Jesus engaging him because his disciples are asking this question of who sinned, this man 
or his parents and bringing healing to this man in a way that only Jesus could. There was a prevailing Jewish belief that wasn't uncommon to much of the ancient world at that time, that if you were born into sin, not just if, or if you were born into a certain infirmity or if you had something wrong with you from birth, that it was because of your sin in the womb, which is weird to think about, or more commonly, it was because of the sins of your parents. And there's even scriptural evidence that says that, that, that God will visit the iniquity of the fathers onto the next generation, even to the third generation. And so there's this prevailing thought that because this man was born blind, somebody sinned so grievously that he didn't even get a choice in the matter. He just landed born blind in a world. And so his disciples are trying to understand what this means. And Jesus says, no, 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 you don't understand. Sin, of slavery to sin. This man was born blind so that the power of God, so that the goodness of God, so that in this moment he would receive his sight, but that everyone here watching would also see that he's received his sight. This happened that the power of God might be displayed in him. And a a chapter over, Jesus says the same thing in chapter 11, verse 4, two chapters over. It says, when Jesus had heard about the death of Lazarus, and he he says this, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it over and over and over again. Jesus is doing things that show the power of God that comes in the revealing of truth over the ways of this world, over the brokenness over this world, over just the flat-out fallenness of this world in the midst of someone being even born blind or the fact that we experience death on a regular basis. Jesus is saying, no, 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 this didn't happen because of sin. This happened so that the glory of God might be made known in this way. Now, big picture, yes, all things that are broken, all things that are hurting, all things that are not as they one day will be and as they should be are because of sin. But this happened in this man's life, Jesus said, so that the glory of God, so that the power of God, so that the truth of God, so that the grace of God might be made real and known in his life. John, over and over and over again, is painting us a picture of just the power and majesty and grandness that is Jesus coming into this person and interacting with real people with real pain and real brokenness on a real way, in a real way on a daily basis. And I believe John is doing it in such a way that while the other gospel writers paint a picture of the compassion of Jesus, John, God through John in the writing of this gospel wants us to see just the enormity of Jesus and how profound it is that he would become a man and become obedient and humble himself even to the point of death on a cross that we might know freedom because the truth will set you free. So in this moment, they have been arguing back and forth about who, what the cause of all this was. Jesus puts this nastiness on his eyes that's not really that all that weird for them in that day, but he then goes and washes in the pool called Scent, which is where kind of their main water source of goodness would have come, uh, you know, from the valley of Kidron. And they find themselves looking at this person, arguing over, is he in fact the one who was born blind? No, he's like him. Yes, he is. And the guy's like, no, 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 you don't get it. It was me. Like, I am the person who was born blind. And then starts this just whole back and forth with the Pharisees being absolutely outraged that this thing would have happened. Uh, And they brought this man in. It says in verse 13, they brought him in because, of course, Jesus does this again on the Sabbath. Like, you couldn't make this easy, right? Like, you had to keep rocking the boat. And he shows up and does this thing as he did on the Sabbath. And they have this back and forth with this guy about his being made 
well and who he was. And there's this just kind of back and forth disagreement. And so they bring in the guy's parents. They're asking, hey, is this your son who was born blind? And they're kind of freaking out because they had made a rule that if anybody had confessed Jesus or anybody had said yes, that Jesus did this thing, that they would just flat out, no questions asked, asked be excommunicated from the temple. And his parents were like, oh, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. And so they bring him back in again and start questioning him. And so in verse 27, we get to this point in the story as they've been back and forth with his parents, um, and now they're asking him again. And he says this after they've asked him a second time very clearly after he's already said that it was Jesus that healed him and made him well. He says, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? This guy's been listening to Jesus too long. Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered him, Why? This is an amazing thing. Why, this is absolutely ridiculous. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Remember, God is seeking worshipers, as we've talked about in the weeks past. God is seeking worshipers. God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. And if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. What an incredible picture of someone who's been questioned by the religious ruling council, someone who's never seen any of these people, someone who's been completely blind from the very first day that he took in breath, finds himself being questioned and interrogated by the religious rulers. And while he couldn't see, he would have fully understood in this moment, especially as he's watched now for the first time his parents, but he's listened to their complete abandonment of him because of any fear of their being cast out or because of their ostracism that would have happened from being cast out of the temple and saying that, yes, this was our son. And this man in that moment is given a choice. He's given a choice because the healing's already happened, right? Like he didn't even ask for it. Jesus just shows up, slaps mud on his eyes that he makes from spit and tells him to go and wash, and he does, and he's healed. And in this moment, he has a choice. Do I believe that freedom is found in this person who has made my eyes well? Or do I believe that everything I've ever heard for all of my life have been taught by my parents or by my culture or about society or about the things of this world? Do I believe that those things are true? And he's forced in that moment to make a choice. And he just stands up and says, this is incredible. Like, how could you be so blind? How could you not see that I have been blind, literally, for all of my life? And in this one moment, this person who has just proclaimed freedom, who has just said that I have come to set captives free, who has just proclaimed that in me is truth if you abide in my words, in me is freedom in that truth when you abide in my words, he then made me well. This is an amazing thing. Never since the beginning of the world has anyone ever heard of someone being born blind and now them seeing. In fact, it's the only recording of anybody being born in a certain way and Jesus undoing that in the way that he could do it in this kind of way in the Gospels. It happens again in Acts, but in this moment, he literally means never since the beginning of the world has anybody heard of this happening and their response is to cast him out. This man counted the cost of following Jesus. 
because what had happened to him could not be denied. He couldn't undo what had happened. Like, there was no going back, right? Like, he's in this now, and his choice is to completely abandon what Jesus has done or to look Jesus in the eyes and go, okay, I don't, I don't really know where we're going with all this. I don't really know what the next step is. I do know that I'm now out of the temple, which is out of all things good and right standing with all of my society, all of my family, everything I've ever known, but I can't deny that I was blind, and now I see. Never since the beginning of the world has this happened. And in an incredible response to this, John continues writing in verse 35. Jesus had heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered him, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to them, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I've come into the world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said, are we so blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And he says that with this man at his feet, worshiping him, knowing that there's nowhere else. He's been completely removed from everything normal, good in his life that he thought was right. And all he has is Jesus. And he says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. His choice was to continue believing the lies of this world, to continue and remain as a slave to sin, or to look at this person who had made him well, who had made him whole, who had given him sight where nothing else had ever been, and to say, I don't know what's coming next, but Jesus, you're enough, and I'm leaning on you, and I worship you, and I trust you. You. The truth is, is that he was born blind, but now he sees because freedom had come in his life. What I want us to look at this morning is that most of us were not born blind. But I believe that all of us walking around, we all, that all of us walk around in some area of our life during certain seasons of our life looking at us going, no, we're totally fine. Now, of course, I'm not a slave to anything. Of course, I'm not, you know, I'm good. I'm really good. And I believe that Jesus' words to us are the same as to the Pharisees, that if we would confess that we are blind, <laughs> then we would have no guilt. Because in our confessing that we are blind and confessing that we are broken and confessing that we are helpless to do anything about our situation, we come face to face with the only one who can. We, like the woman who was called in adultery, find ourselves alone, barren, broken, completely vulnerable in our most wounded place, face to face with the King of Kings, who has all right to condemn and judge us, but says, I don't condemn you. But you can't stay here. You can't continue down this path. You can't continue living for the things that are going to continue to lie to you. Because our temptation is to just circle back. Our flesh, for as long as we have it in this life, before we die or Jesus comes back, is going to continue down paths of unrighteousness. It's going to continue wanting to be blind. And Jesus asks the question to him on that day and to us, I am he. I'm everything you've ever hoped for. I'm the only place where true freedom is found because I am the way and the truth and the life and our invitation as believers is to say yes to Jesus and no to everything that this world would have us regardless of the cost. This man lost everything in this moment. 
He lost his family. He lost his standing. He lost his reputation, if he had any in this moment. He lost all of it, having come face to face with the person of Jesus Christ. William Barclay writes it this way. He says, the man who is conscious of his own blindness and who longs to see and know is the man whose eyes can be opened and who can be led more deeply into the truth. Only the man who realizes his own weakness can become strong. Only the man who realizes his own blindness can learn to see. And only the man who realizes his own sin can be forgiven. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know they need Jesus. Because it's in that moment that we realize we have been given life. We have been given sight. We have been given freedom. We have been given everything that this world couldn't give. Jesus very simply says, if you abide in me, if you remain in me, if my words that have been written about me and if now my words that you hear me speaking and for those of, those of us who follow thousands of years later, if we look at all of this word, if the word of Jesus abides in our heart, then we come to an understanding of who he is and what he would have us do and how he would have us live and just how far he's gone to set us free. And then we would then walk in it. We would then believe that it's true. And when we see Jesus, when we spend time in his word, when we grow in our understanding of truth and our love for him at the same time grows and grows and grows and grows. And when we see him, we also see everything we've been freed from, everything we've been healed from. The truth of grace and the glory of it sets everyone free who sets their eyes on Jesus. And so the invitation for all of us is regardless of what it is you deal with or regardless of what it is that you walked in here with or regardless of whatever the place is in your life that you just don't see because of our blindness, the Holy Spirit says, hey, right here. And if you will look intently into the eyes of Jesus, you will know and see the one who says, neither do I condemn you. So go now and leave your life of sin. In John chapter 8, where we started this morning, Jesus talks about the idea of the truth setting us free. And so practically this morning, I want to look at this man who had been set free from everything he had ever known, blindness, who had been set free from that by the goodness of Jesus in a way that only Jesus could. Jesus says that if you know the truth, me, and if you recognize your blindness, you desire to grow in godliness, you desire to be set free. Remember, he asked the question, do you want to be well? If we believe that he does do that, if we believe that he, in fact, sets people free, then we have to ask the question, okay, what is he freeing us from? And I believe all of us can find ourselves in one, if not multiple, of these categories. For this man in particular, he sets him free, not just from his blindness, but from his fear. He sets him free from everything that was unknown, right? Like he had no idea what was going to happen next. He had no idea if they were going to stone him. He had no idea if his life was literally going to be over because he said yes to Jesus. But Jesus is setting him free, sets him free from the fear of the unknown, from the fear of what might happen, from the fear of what ifs. In this moment, freedom sets him free to trust in faith that Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. I believe for some of us, when looking, in looking at our freedom and face-to-face -face with Jesus and what that means to walk in freedom, it's freedom from ourselves. 
It's freedom from our own ability to measure up. It's freedom from our own ability to pull it all together. It's freedom from our own ability to make it look perfectly put together on Instagram because it's really just a highlight reel, right? Like all of those things we are free from in Jesus because he is now the one who defines our life. Freedom from our own failures in the sense of ourself, right? Because while Instagram may portray something, we also know what's inside of us and what we're dealing with. And Jesus says that if you will abide in my word, you will be free even from yourself. For this man also, and for us, there was also a freedom from other people and what they thought about him. How many of our decisions are governed and, and, and kind of driven by what other people think of us? On a daily basis, I am constantly dealing what anybody and everybody else thinks about me more so than I am about Jesus. And Jesus' challenge to him, the blind man, and to all of us who would listen is, do you care more about what I'm telling you and what, what I want to do in you and about what I have done in you? Do you care more about those things than you do about what people think about you? Because in me is freedom, and you have to walk away from that. It's not that we shouldn't live for a good reputation or with a good reputation, but it shouldn't be the thing that saves our souls. It shouldn't be the thing that we lean our life on and bank all of our hopes in. So if we are free from fear, we're free from ourselves, we're free from the thoughts of other people or what other people think about us being greater than what Jesus thinks about us, we are ultimately free from sin as well. I believe that this man, while he didn't necessarily understand why he had been born, born blind, there was probably a misunderstanding that said he was born blind because it was his fault. And I think our sin kind of puts us in one of two categories. We either are blind to it or we realize, okay, the other hammer, the other shoe's going to drop, the hammer's going to fall, something's going to happen because I'm going to be found out because there's this thing in my life. And Jesus is saying, even to those of us who continue walking with him, not just for the first time, but for the rest of our lives, that you will be in constant need of being freed from your sinfulness. Because we're just flat out broken, right? Like we're quick to run back to it. And over and over and over again, the gospel reminds us that we are free from our sin. And so wherever it is that we find ourselves this morning, we are all prone to live as a slave to sin, Jesus talks about. And the, the choice that this man was given in his being made well was, do you want to continue living as a slave to sin or do you want to live as a slave to righteousness? Paul puts it this way in Romans Chapter 6, he says this, Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Here's a universal truth. We're going to worship something. Period. We were created with eternity in our hearts. We were created to need to worship something. And whatever we worship is what we're a slave to. It's what we're committed to. It's what we sell out for. It's what we give our whole life to. And we see this playing out in, in almost every sphere of life with people who are sold out for something that we know is temporary that's not going to last for eternity. And Paul's picture that he's painting here is the same picture that Jesus is painting when he tells this man to come and leave a life of slavery to sin and follow me. And he falls on his knees and he worships him regardless of the cost. That invitation is to leave a life of slavery to sin because of what Jesus has done and live as slaves to righteousness. Because in that kind of slavery is a life that is completely wrapped around the person of Jesus. You ever had conversations with people who like, 
they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with their life, and all they, all they can do is start talking about like what Jesus is saying to them, what the Father is saying to them. I really just want to hear what he's saying. And you're like, I don't, I don't know what you're saying, but I want to live that kind of way. That's someone who has completely resigned their life as a slave to righteousness. And I believe the invitation is for all of us to do the same, for all of us to look at Jesus and say, yes. I believe that in you and only in you there is freedom. There is freedom for me to devote, devote my whole life to you, to devote my whole life to righteousness, to give everything, not just the convenient parts, not just the parts that everyone else sees, but to walk in freedom in every area of my life by abiding in your word, knowing that I will walk in freedom as a slave to righteousness. That's what this man knew that day. And that regardless of the cost, Jesus was absolutely worth trusting with his entire life. And he said, yes, I believe. And he worshiped him. That's our invitation. That is the command. That is the call. That is the only place that we find hope and life in this world. Amen. Let's pray. We're so glad you listened to the Grace Auburn Church podcast. There's so much happening in the life of our church, and we could not be more excited about all that God is doing. For more information about ways that you can connect within the life of our church, go to our website, www.graceauburn.church. Thank you.